not that building behind us. It is the people sitting here. It is the people that you have saved, that you have given redemption to. You have sent your son to substitute for us, to take the wrath of God, to be our, our stand in our place. So that we do not fear death. Our sins are paid for. We have a right standing for eternity with God through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. And so we are the church. The people of God. The body of Christ. The bride of Christ. The family of God. We gather today outside. Because that's your bride. And we long for the groom's return. We long for the end of sin and death and Satan's rule. We, we, want, we want those gone. We want to be in your presence, Lord. Father, you have a plan for us. And that's to go on living and to love one another and love your son and love his word and love the gospel and be examples of Christ in a very difficult world. So, Lord, as our hearts are heavy with the loss of Grayson, with the damage of homes. So many on the West Coast have lost life. Churches all over Florida are caring for people. We ask that you would comfort us. And may this psalm, may the reminder of your great unseen protecting power over your children strengthen us, Lord. Whether it's grief from the loss of a loved one or suffering through some medical issue, or, or struggles in marriage, whatever it may be, God, cause us to cling to you. We ask you to do this for your glory, Lord, and certainly for our joy. We do this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalms 51 is a very special psalm to me. If there was a psalm you would ask me that I would, or, or a passage of scripture that you would ask me from my childhood that stuck out the most to me, it was this psalm. This was a psalm that I memorized when I was little. I think I memorized it in the old King James um, way back when. But it was a very precious psalm to me. I, I clung to this psalm in many ways. It taught me that God was a great God of comfort. That God was one who would protect you even when you couldn't see the things that were going around you. I found great comfort in this psalm and still to this day uh, love to read it over and over we have a little understanding of who wrote this song or the background of it. The author is anonymous. But many commentators believe it was possibly someone who was getting ready to go to battle. You'll see some of those terms within this passage of arrows and thousands falling to left and right. And it possibly could have been someone who was pleading with God for trust as they went into war and they went into battle. And yet we're not sure. We just know it brings great comfort to us. But the one thing we do know is there's a clear theme of unseen protection of God for his children in this. He's, he's there when we can't see him. He's there when we can't see the difficulties that are coming our way. You see, you'll see in the psalm there's terms like pestilence and disease and violence. These are strong terms. And yet God is there protecting us. Verse 12 says that you won't even stub your toe in a sense. And we know this is messianic in some way. I'll bring that out here in a few minutes. But, but it's a great psalm reminding us of how God protects us. 
there's those that have abused this psalm, right? Some who have tried to say, if you have enough faith, nothing would happen to you. Reminded of a local pastor in our hometown where Gina and I grew up in and were married. Um, health and wealth, prosperity gospel guy. Uh, his wife just died of cancer. <laughs> and they, these are the psalms that the prosperity gospel holds to. These are psalms. If you have enough faith, nothing of this will happen to you. Well, certainly that's not true. They would even say you wouldn't even stub your toe in verse 12. But that cannot be what this is about, right? So how would we expound on this passage? How would we look at this thing and not through the lens of the prosperity gospel? Well, that's just false teaching. And one of the things I want to say about that is Satan loves the prosperity gospel. He loves it. He wants you to put your hope in this, this crystal ball type of Jesus. That, that all you have to do is just faith your way to God and you can get there and he knows that you'll be lost forever. So many have abused this psalm through the years. But we know we live in a fallen world, don't we? It's more evident this week as we lost Grayson. There's been damage done to homes. Uh, the death toll is still counting on the west side of Florida. We understand we live in a fallen world that is sick with sin. Death runs hand in hand with life, right? We often suffer. But that does not mean, and that's what this psalm is about, that our Father in heaven abandons us. In fact, it makes those of us who love the Lord run to Him. I was thinking this week, if the prosperity gospel teachers were right, Job would come and kick them in their tail end, wouldn't he? Job uh, suffered greatly. The Bible says that he was a righteous man. And yet his three friends blamed him for lack of faith and sinful life, not knowing that God lets the righteous suffer. He wants us to be like his son. He allows those things into our life as he conforms us into his image. Job knew that firsthand. In fact, this psalm reminds us of the constant unseen protection because in verse 15, and this is why this isn't a prosperity psalm in any way, and there aren't prosperity psalms in that way, it says that he would help us in our time of trouble in verse 15, so it's telling us that we have trouble. This is not a psalm that you're just trouble-free if you have enough faith. He'll be with us in trouble, the Bible says. So in light of hurricanes and the loss of sweet grace and some here and some at home are struggling with cancer and disease and tumors and, and old age. And we don't want to misinterpret the psalm. I, I think a, a, something that really helps us would be someone like a, a passage like Romans 8.28. We know that verse very well, don't we? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And again, this is a verse that's been misused, and I think it, it's a great explanation of Psalms 91. In fact, there's a phrase in here that we must understand, and we know that God causes things to what? To work together. He causes all things to work together, the good, the bad, the difficult. He, in his sovereign plan, and, and again, brothers and sisters, I don't think we'll understand this till we get in heaven when we see this great orchestration of the Father's control 
of all things that were happening is not responsible for sin, but yet he has power and control of all things, working those things together for his glory and for our good. And even when we look at the loss of a four-year-old, death of those that possibly drowned in this hurricane, these things are difficult to get our minds around. And yet our God is there in these unseen things, constantly holding things together. I think Joseph said this verse of Romans 8:28 very well in the Old Testament. He said, Genesis 50:20, "As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive." Joseph knew wickedness. He knew it firsthand. He knew it from his own siblings. And yet he could see that God works all things together. He has an internal purpose, good and bad. He works those things together in a heavenly understanding. And there's a whole lot of evil in this world, brothers and sisters, that, that God did not put into this world. He made a world that was perfect. And man rejected him and sin entered through that one man and death came with it. And so we have loss of life and cancer and health issues and violence and all kinds of things coming. But someday we'll see how God, in his eternal plan, that he works all things together, the good, the evil, the bad, the, the, the glorious things, we'll see all that and we'll worship him for that. And what a good reminder this weekend that we'll see God in, in, a, in a level of his faithfulness like we've never seen him before when we're with him. I think it'll cause us to worship him the rest of our lives. Now this morning, I want to encourage you with Psalms 91. Because I want you to be reminded. And I want you to enjoy the unseen power. And, and even the unseen protection of your heavenly father. He's watching over you. He cares for you. Several thoughts this morning. Number one, the power of a personal relationship with God. Verses 1 through 2. Look at these verses as... Paul did such a good job reading this passage. Verses 1 through 2, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Well, what beautiful words that are in this first couple of verses. The first word I want to just look at is the word Almighty. Isn't that an amazing word? It's, it only can point to one person. There's only one who can have that. There's no one greater, right? That word means there's nobody higher or greater than the Almighty One. There's no equal to Him. There's no one more powerful. It means He's in complete control of all things. He cannot be derailed from His plan. He is the Almighty. What a statement about the character of our God and His plans that never fail. He is our Heavenly Father. He watches over you as a perfect father who has all the might that he ever needs to do those things. I love these two verbs of dwells and abide. What comforting verbs these are, aren't they? It, 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 it reminds us of dwelling and uh, uh, habitating together, right? This word abide. It's the privilege of God's children. You, you have a family. You get to abide with God. You're not just left alone to, to, to die in some dead family. You're alive in a family of God. And I love these words. 
They're unique. It states uniqueness. You dwell with him. You abide with him. You're not a stranger to him. The word shelter denotes protection, doesn't it? Some of us were a little worried whether our shelters were going to come apart this week, right? The old rafters were rattling. Shingles were flying. Trees were breaking. Our shelters could have collapsed, and in some cases on the west side it did. But your shelter, God, will never collapse. He is your unseen protector. I love the word shadow here as well. I, I, I think that's such a fascinating term. One, if you're going to be in the shadow of an umbrella, you got to be close enough to get to the shadow of it, right? Some of you are wishing you had one. So, so there denotes a, a, a relief there, right? When you're in a, a shaded area, think about in this ancient world in a desert setting, shade could be life or death, couldn't it? And so there's comfort there, isn't there? There's shadow, and it also means you're close, right? It means you're close to God. If I'm in the shadow of Christ, that means I'm right there with him. Look at verse 2. It says refuge and fortress. Oh, these words denote strength and protection. As a little boy, I would think about these terms. As a young boy would do, he would think of a fort maybe that he had built or something that boys do, right? We find stuff laying around and we build something and we we our minds imagine living in it and being protected by it but god is a refuge and a fortress he has strength and protection that we don't understand fully he sees all threats coming to him he 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 fortresses himself around us to guard us notice the word trust I love that last little phrase, my God in whom I trust. This, this means he won't fail me, right? And, and it means we are only faithful because he's been faithful, right? His faithfulness can cause us to trust him in a way we could not be for salvation, right? Before God was a God out there that we don't understand him. Why does these bad things happen to good people? People say that term all the time. They don't have no understanding of who he is. You get saved. Oh, you have this incredible trust in God. And even when death and, and disease and things come your way, the, the true saved go, I don't understand what you're doing, God, but I trust you. Amen. Oh, only the elect can do that. The lost cannot. They just doubt God. And they begin to make up a fictitious character. But brother and sister, you have trust. That's why you're crazy enough to come out and sit in a field and hear a crazy preacher treat on the faithfulness of God. Second, we see our unseen God protecting us from unseen dangers. Look at verses 3 through 6. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper, from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or the arrows that fly by day, or the pestilence that stalk in darkness, or the destruction that lays waste at noon. Well, we have an unseen God that's watching over this, don't we? Paul breaks out into praise at the end of his first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verse 15 and following. He says this, He who is blessed and only sovereign. Man, I like that phrase. 
He who is blessed and only sovereign, meaning he does not share his sovereignty with another. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality, dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen. We know he's talking about the Father because we have seen the Son. The Son came and revealed his glory. But we have a God who is unseen, watching over our unseen dangers, isn't he? When you look at verses 3 through 6, you see things that we can't only imagine that God protects us from. And, and sometimes when we get sick or we get injured or we lose a loved one, the Christian can wonder where God is at times, right? I, I don't know. I don't know where you're at. But sometimes in our journey of faith, maybe when we're young, we wonder where God is in some of these difficult trials. The psalmist is reminding us that we live in this fallen world because he, he talks about a lot of difficult things and we're, we're subject to, to suffering, aren't we? And yet, and yet that does not mean that God doesn't care, that he's not our great protector. What I love about these verses here, three through six, is they remind us of some very visual, unseen dangers in a way, right? When you set a snapper's chair, no, uh, tra uh, snapper's, uh, excuse me, a snare for a trapper, verse 3. Uh, if you've ever set a, tra uh, a snare, you, you set them so they can't see it, right? So if you're trying to trap a beaver or a, or a muskrat or something, you set it so they, they, everything draws them to that hole and they make their way that way. And as they go through, they trigger the snare and it gets it. It's unseen. That's how you catch a very wary animal. And he reminds us that he's, he sees that trap even though we don't. Verse 3, deadly pestilence. I don't think you could see COVID breathing out of people's mouth. God could. He sees all that. He protects us from deadly pestilence, right? The world's afraid of deadly pestilence. They don't know what to do. And we're not fond of it. But we have a God who protects us. He uses terms like terror by night. Night's terrifying to a lot of people, right? You can't see. There's darkness. What's going on out there? I don't know what's going on. And terror comes often on people who have no faith in God because night brings that on and exposes their heart and exposes their lack of faith, doesn't it? It says arrows that fly by day. If, I hope none of you have had an arrow shot from at you, but if they were shooting from those other side of the trees, we probably couldn't see them until they were about ready to hit us, Right? They're just a tiny dot flying at us. Oh, the psalmist says God even protects us from those arrows that we cannot see, from pestilence that stalk in darkness. Notice that uh, a destruction that lays waste at noon. Often wars were started right at daybreak so they could see. And sometimes by noon they were pushing their way into their, to, their opposer, to those who opposed them and taking over and slaying everybody. The psalmist reminds them of that. But verse 4 is one of my favorite verses. Notice the depth of protection here in verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Well, notice this term, pinions and wings. I shared with our staff when I was teaching on this on Tuesday, I just started to mess with this text and shared it with them and got some of their thoughts on it. It was very encouraging to be with them. I, I so if you've ever, ever, ever gone duck hunting and you try to shoot a duck that's down on the water with, with his wings close to the body, you can't kill him unless you get him in the head. They're, 
you, they'll just bounce off their wings. You shot a turkey in the body and his wings were closed. Those hollow bones that, are, that seem so light so they can fly are so strong. Many stories of ranchers and park rangers who discovered dead mama birds and that had been through firestorms or hail or attacked by other animals where they would come along and they would kick that bird and out from that dead mama bird would come babies. They were protected from that hailstorm that came. The, the Bible's full of beautiful illustrations. I think one of my favorite is in uh, the book of Ruth where Boaz is speaking to Ruth. Ruth chapter 2 verse 12, he says this, May the Lord reward your work. Remember, he's, he, she left she left her native home. She, she said, look, Naomi, your God will be my God and your people will be my God. She, she put faith in the God of Israel and she followed her mother-in-law and she came back and not only did she follow her, she was caring for her, trying to gain food for this two widows who had nothing left. And, and, and Boaz picks up on this and he says, may the Lord reward your work, your wages full, be full from the Lord, the God of Israel. Now listen to this, under whose wing you have come to seek refuge. When you trust God, you come underneath his wing. And then chapter 3 um, uh, is an amazing uh, passage because in the middle of the night, she makes her way to the foot of Boaz's bed and she slides under the end of her, his covers there. And, and, and Boaz says this to her. He says, who are you? <laughs> Maybe you would say that at night if somebody was down touching your feet, right? He says, who are you? And she, she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. And then she says this, so spread your covering. Literally, it's the Hebrew word for wing over your maid, for you are my closest relative. He, she is saying, protect my life. And it's such a beautiful term. Put your wing of protection over me. And that's exactly what Boaz did. And Boaz is a picture of the kins, kinsman redeemer, right? He's a picture of Christ. One who can redeem us, who can protect us, bring us underneath his wing and take all the battering forces against us upon himself. In fact, he is the greatest picture. Before I get to that, just listen to some of the Psalms. Psalms 36, 7, how precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wing. Psalms 57, 1, David here, be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. What hope in God that wings spread when God rescued Israel out of Egypt. Remember, he gave them grace before he ever gave them the law. When he rescued them out of Egypt, he said this in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And then listen to this. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What amazing imagery that God gives. I think many times we think of God in masculine forms because that's what he often does in the Bible. But remember, God says, let us make man in our image, both male and female. And so women find their image in God, don't they? And often we see passages like this where we see um, somewhat of a feminine side of God where he's, he's mothering, he, he mothers them, he brings them underneath his wings as this passage in Exodus talks about. This imagery of God is beautiful. 
But of course, the greatest imagery of coming under a wing is coming under the wing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about this just for a moment. Think about what he took on our place. He took hell's fire. He took a hailstorm of judgment from God. And all of those of us who would believe were in the shadow and underneath his wing as God judged him on our behalf. And he suffered, and this is substitutionary death, brothers and sisters. This is atonement. This is undeserving grace. And here our Lord in his perfect finished work, we find ourselves safely tucked spiritually under his wing. Isn't that amazing? All that judgment hits, the, hits our Lord and we're guarded from it. He's the ultimate picture of, of being one who can guard with his sovereign wing. Even Jesus, when he spoke of Jerusalem in Luke 13, he wept over Jerusalem. And what he wept over was they rejected him as the Messiah. All of the Old Testament was pointing towards him and they rejected him. And he says, oh, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. How often I want to gather you as children together. All the way, that means how often, all through the Bible, all through the Old Testament, God was trying to gather these people. And he says, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Oh, Christ is the one we've run to, isn't it? Are you under his wing? Or are you just playing around the hen house? Are you dating Christ? Or are you in a forever relationship with him? Such a difference. If not, you are in danger. You're in danger of a hailstorm of judgment that's going to come fire that's going to come from heaven. You're in danger of all of those things. Oh, praise the Lord. Notice he says he's our shield and our bulwark. Those are strong options. Those are, those are objects you hide behind. And then some of us did that, right? Some of you maybe got in a safe place in your home and that wind was really going. You, you found safety in that bulwark, right? In that shield. Oh, are you hiding behind Christ? Third thought, confidence in the Almighty with our lives. Look at verses 7 through 10. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but, he, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Well, here we see the confidence in the providential and sovereign protection of the Almighty One. I love the yours and the use, these pronouns in here. I think somebody was mentioning that this morning already. Uh, pronouns, these personal pronouns are important. This means it's us, right? It's the child of God that this is speaking of, these verses. And again, you can see this unseen hand of God protecting His children, guiding them through difficult human events down through history, right? Verse 7, there's casualties of war. Verse 8, there's punishment of the wicked. And it may be difficult for us to understand the bloody battles of the ancient world, war, uh, world, hand-to-hand combat with swords and spears and arrows. You and I do understand car wrecks, disease, injuries, attacks. You, you understand this. And, and, and how many, how many of us were close even this week to death? If the tree in our backyard 
falls one way, it either crushes our house or a widow next to us. But it fell the other way. Just getting here. You have angry people out there. People who have drunk away this weekend because they can't handle life. And they're on those roads out there. See, we have a God constantly caring for us, protecting us, even though we do, not, we do not see it. So we have confidence in His faithfulness, not ours. And look, if you're faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're faithful because He was faithful. Aren't you grateful for that? And so even though our physical ailments, our struggles, our wrestling with sin, our health issues, even things like car accidents and loss of loved ones, even children like we've experienced this week, God has his unseen hand providentially still protecting, sheltering us, and guiding us with his unfailing love. That's what he does to his children. You have to believe that. Otherwise, you're going to worry yourself to death. My first ministry, Gene and I started a little church in a place called Lake City, California. And we had some elder people, and they started a ministry in a rest home. And we used to go every week down there and sing and teach little sermonettes to them and and one of the things I realized, they worried so much. They worried so much. And it's a tendency. And I'm just a young, I'm just a young pastor. I'm in my 20s, right? I go, what is, what's wrong with these people? Why do they worry so much? Now I'm worrying. <laughs> I'm old. I'm having some problems, right? The body isn't working like it used to. But God has not changed. This body, this, these, this thing here, it's changing. But God doesn't. And there's such a reminder here that he doesn't change. He's in that. He's there. And so even in death, think about this. He is graciously allows us to be absent from these body and to be present with the Lord. That's, that's what happened this weekend. Even a little four-year-old, as we've talked with Josh, and what that little four-year-old understood, we believe that little, that little one knew the Lord. It's amazing what Josh and Victoria had done with that little one. And so we have confidence to be absent from this body is to be present to the Lord. But Jesus said these things, Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. They're coming after us someday. They are not going to let us keep doing what we're doing. That, that's proven through history. It, it's happened. I don't know if it's going to be our generation or our next generations that are coming. They're not going to put up with us. But they can't get your soul. And Jesus goes on to say, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. God is protecting our souls. Do you not understand that? He's protecting our souls. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 and following says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I imagine the Brown family will rehearse this soon. As their hearts heal, they'll say, death, you lost. Sin, you lost. Satan, you lost. Sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And look, God providentially cares. God's providential care does not exclude the possibility of harm or even death. We have to understand that. Even death of our own children. But it does not mean that he will abandon us. He will bring his saving work to completion. Paul said, I'm confident of this very thing. I love, I love wording like that. You go, okay, well, what is that very thing? That he who began a good work in you, right? 
Philippians 1, 6 here. We'll perfect it until the day of Christ. Four, the unseen protection from unseen beings. This is a fascinating one. Look at verses 11 through 13. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpents you will trample down. Listen, brothers and sisters, God gives divine and heavenly protection to his children. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, angels, look at this. God gives charge to his angels to care for us, to keep us on track in a sense, to watch over us, right? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not speaking of the difference between Jesus and the angels? He's making the distinction that Jesus was not an angel in Hebrews chapter 1, that he was the very son of God, fully equal to the father. But at the end, he says this about angels. Are they not ministering spirits? Look at this sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit their salvation. My mother said, you're wearing out your guardian angel when I was little. <laughs> How many moms have thought that as their children and they grow up, right? You're wearing your angel out. <laughs> I don't know if there's any truth to that or not, but my mom used to say that. But they're there to minister to us and they're unseen in most cases, right? Sometimes we minister to angels unaware, Hebrews chapter 13. But listen, again, there's this unseen power and protection of God in these supernatural, unseen servants, right? But Satan doesn't have that with us. The, the elect angels minister to us, but Satan doesn't have that because Christ, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, came in flesh because his children, the children were flesh and blood, so also Christ offered, uh, accepted uh, flesh and blood. He came incarnate so he could represent us, so he could die, right? So he could be killed. And by doing that on the cross, he rendered powerless, the Bible says, rendered powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And he set us free. And praise God for that. These principles, um, sometimes I think when we look at the, a chapter like this, maybe they can... Uh, cause us to be spiritually proud, but I think the real saved are humbled at this, right? You're humbled at the fact that God would protect us in such a way. But I think if pride comes, and I think this is what the prosperity gospel does, it causes people to be very prideful, and that's exactly what Satan wants, right? And he even tried to tempt Jesus with the sin of pride, didn't he? Matthew chapter 4. He tempted him in three ways with bread and the pinnacle of the temple and the rescue by angels that actually comes out of this passage. And Satan, he misuses scripture. He misused. That's, he quotes that. He quotes this passage in the temptation of Christ. And he does this. And Satan's always trying to get us to misuse scripture. It's what he does, right? Satan was trying here in, in Jesus' temptation to get him to not walk the path of suffering. Take it a different way. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. You're not going to have to go to the cross. You're not going to have to suffer. But that's not what he came to do, to get something the easy way. Somebody had to die. Somebody had to be killed on our, on our behalf. And so Satan was saying if, that if God wants you to suffer, that means you can't trust his promises. And I think that's what the prosperity gospel does. And I think that sells because people... 
don't believe in God because they see suffering sometimes, right? If you go out and ask people, do you believe in a God? Well, if there's a real God, why do people suffer? They always will say that to you. You need to be ready for that. You need to be ready to deal with that. Because right now you have an opportunity to show them why they need Jesus Christ because of suffering and sin in this fallen world. And so we take people to Scripture, right? And Psalms 91 and the rest of Scripture teaches that there was a beautiful creation, a God who made things perfectly, but there's a fall, flood, and judgment, and there's a promise of restoration. All of Scripture teaches that God is a God who cares and protects and is restoring this fallen world. And he's restored our souls through the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reading a passage in Luke 21. I'm reading through the harmony of the Gospels in my personal life, uh, just personal devotions. And I came to Luke 21, verses 16 through 18. If, if you can get there, get there, because I, I want you to think about this passage for a little bit and come back and talk to me. Um, I, 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 this passage just grabbed me. Luke chapter 21, 16 through 18, and then verse 19 to tap it off. Jesus says this, but you will be betrayed by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. And then he says this, and you will be hated by all because of my name. Now the word, remember, the name is his glory, is his person, his character, right? We understand that. So, so you're going to have, you're going to have family members, brothers, sisters, relatives. Some will even want to put you to death. You're going to suffer hatred because of the glory of Christ. And then verse 18, yet not a hair of your head will perish. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm going to be murdered, but not a hair on my head will perish. Now, some of you out here, men, we're going to have to do a little bit of exegetical work because there's not a lot of hair there. <laughs> but I don't think it's about the hair. It's about the protection of God. You can kill the body, but you cannot kill the soul. He's right back after this, isn't he? But then he says this in verse 19, and this verse I thought about much deeply. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. And, and uh, uh, the English is a little not as strong as the Greek. The Greek says, by your suffering, your anguish almost, you will gain your soul. And you say, well, isn't that works? No, it's not. A Christian is willing to suffer if it brings God glory. A Christian willingly goes through, not happily at times when someone says you have a difficult disease or you know, someone's going to die in your family. Those are hard things. We, wanna, we do not want to trivialize those things at all. We want to weep with our brothers and sisters. We want to rejoice with them. This is difficult. We want to walk through them. Please don't let me make any light of this at all. I'm not doing that. But what this verse reminds us is, is that the true Christian is willing to take what God gives us. We're willing to say, God, I would not ask for that. But you gave it to me. And you make no mistakes. And so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with the disease. I'm going to trust you with the loss of life. I'm going to trust you with my broken heart. I'm going to trust you with the trial I'm in. Because you make no mistakes. See, that's, that's what verse 19 says. You're enduring, you're suffering because you've gained your soul. That's the difference. The world can't handle this. They can't handle these things. That's why they can't handle God. 
Christians can. See, this is a mark of a true believer. Look, verses 11 through 13 are not meant to buff, puff up your pride in some way, but they're there to remind you of the gracious, unseen protection that God supplies. Only, only, notice he says, all your ways, the striking of the foot, the lying of the cobra, these are really key to Christ, aren't they? This is, this is Christ doing these things. He, he's the one who, who can, who can, fight those battles for us and sin, Satan, and death can be defeated in Christ. They cannot have the final say. Christ alone, we have victory, don't we? Well, one last thought here. Worship and love is the response of the saved. And just quickly here, look at 14 through 16. Because he has loved me, therefore I deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Well, here once again, the unseen kindness and protection of God is highlighted. And what it highlights is it produces a love for his children. And and. and and God loves his children, and because he loves his children, we love him, right? Isn't that what 1 John says? You don't love because you just said, well, I'm just going to love God today. You don't wake up and say, I'm all of a sudden going to be a lover of God. You love God because God loved you. Amen. And we got to understand that, brothers and sisters. I don't care how emotionalism works or what people are doing out there. I'm telling you, you would not love God if he didn't love you. And he loved you in the greatest demonstration of sending his son, the greatest act of love ever known, to bring us under his son's wing and protection from his wrath. And so this creates this incredible intimate relationship between us and the Almighty. Notice we love him. We have known his name, it says. It means we've experienced his glory. John said it this way, we beheld his glory. We beheld it. It's like God pulls back the curtain and you see the Father through the Son. The unseen one now is seen through the Son. You, you now know the Almighty. You can see Him. You can trust Him. You can believe in Him. His Word reveals Him, both the living and the written. And now you've seen His glory and your life has been changed. And no matter what comes, disease, death, difficulties, wrecks, hurricanes, it doesn't matter. And I'm not saying those are not easy in times that will try our faith at times, but you have a God who's going to walk through you, that with you. And he's one that you've seen his glory. And you can call upon him. There's a special relationship you have in that time of difficulty, that time of suffering. Brother and sister, you're in his shadow. You're right next to him. Call upon him. Our biggest problem is we try to do stuff ourselves, right? We sola bootstrapped us ourselves, right? We think we're just going to pull ourselves up out of this difficulty. And yet the Almighty Father says, I've already put you under my wing. Why are you struggling under there? Let me take care of you. Notice in verse 14, the Almighty responds with deliverance and security. Verse 15, he hears and he answers your prayers. Verse 15, he's present in your troubles. He rescues and he honors the undeserving. That's us. And notice in verse 16, he often gives a satisfying 
and long life as a witness to his saving grace and his daily love in our life. Most people live long lives. Grayson, Grayson is an exception. And yet God was completely in control of that. Most of us are alive. We're here. We're well enough to come out here and sit in this beautiful property God gave us. And he's, he's a satisfying God, isn't he? And so we have a God who cares for us in the unseen difficulties of life. I hope you're encouraged by that. There's somebody in your life that's struggling right now. Would you share this with them? Will you spend some time sharing this truth with them? They need this. And I hope if you're here today, you'll come down. Some elders and deacons will be down here. If you need to talk, if you need someone to pray with you, if you need someone to help undergird you, walk with you through a trial, this is what we want to do. So don't leave a disheartened friend. If you're not saved, we would implore you to turn to Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. You will get the direct hit that Jesus guards the Christian from. You will take that direct judgment from God if you're not saved. We plead with you to know Jesus as your Savior. Those of us that are saved, walk with him. Stay close to that wing. Stay under that shelter. Stay close to him. He'll take us through the hardest things. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you for your love for us. A psalm here in the middle of a group of psalms, 176 of them, Lord. Here's one that just enlights our heart of a God in his unseen protection of his children. And yet, Lord, we have seen it. We, Christ has been manifested to us. He's been made real. Like John, we beheld him. We beheld his glory, the glory of the unique one. We've seen him. And we believe. You gifted us with grace and faith. And it's not of ourselves, lest we would boast, but it is a gift of God, and we have that now. And now we discover what you've done in advance for us, good works planned for us so we can serve you on this earth till we run out of breath or you call us home. And so, Lord, help us do that well. Father, in closing, we pray for the Brown family. We ask that you would pull them close, wrap that wing around this little family. Shower them with grace. Use us, Lord. May we be gracious and kind and considerate and praying always for this family, Lord. May you give us strength to walk through this trial with them as best we can and love on them. Lord, help us be a church like Psalms 91, faithful to the faithful one. We pray this in Jesus' name.